Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Kim, this might be a hard question to answer, but do you think that your husband could have had something to do with this? Hello, this is a prepaid call from Kimberly Boone, an inmate at a Florida Department of Corrections institution. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of the lesser-included offense of attempted second-degree murder. My husband was my best friend. We never fought, argued. We got along great. As far as this case, when he walked into the courtroom, he basically looked completely away from Kimberly Boone as he walked to the witness stand. I was feeling a little bit groggy, had a headache, a little bit disoriented. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. This is part four of my chat with Kimberly Boone, the mother sentenced to over 30 years for arson and the premeditated attempted murder against her husband, a crime she has always maintained she's innocent of. Now, as always, if you are yet to listen to the previous episodes, head on back now and catch up. So today, we're going to take a look at the testimony of Kim's former husband, the man that prosecutors say Kim tried to kill, not once, but twice. Of course, as we know, Kim was found not guilty for the first alleged attempted murder, but was now on trial for a fire that had happened at their home four months previous. A fire, prosecutors say, Kim intentionally lit in the hopes of killing her husband and collecting on his life insurance policy. Kim has told us on more than one occasion that her and her husband never fought. There were no issues in their relationship. But, nonetheless... He took the stand for the prosecution. This is certainly the, uh, what, what would I call it, the strangest part of the situation, the whole thing's strange, but I mean the, the fact that um, obviously your husband now takes the stand and he's taking the stand and he's not on the stand to um, support you, he's brought on the stand for the prosecution. Right. Basically, as you've said to me multiple times, he doesn't say anything bad about you. He just tells them story of, of what actually happened. But at no stage does he tell the court, look, I don't think my wife did this um, or anything like that. He literally just tells his side of the events, shall we say, uh, and they go from there. So did you yeah. know he was going to be taking the stand for the prosecution? Uh, yeah, pretty, I, I did. 
I what? figured that he would. You figured that he would? Why, why did you figure he would? Because he did it in the first, the first trial he testified against me as well. Sure. Robert Boone. Kimberly Boone's husband was officially announced as a witness in her attempted murder case. She's accused of shooting him in the family garage. Just assumes that. Let's go back quickly then to the first trial. When, when you, did, when, how did you find out that he was going to be basically on the stand for the prosecution in that first trial? Uh, my attorney uh, basically said that you know he they were going to put him on the stand. And what was your response so he, to that? Again, even. Um, I don't know. You know, you you get to a point where you're just kind of numb to everything. People, at that point, it had been over three years since I had been arrested. You know, three, some two and a half, three years, something like that. So, you know, people look at you like you know you're supposed to react in a certain way, and you're supposed to be crying and crazy. You know, just yeah. distraught and remorseful, and you are. But after a while, you just become you just become desensitized to it. So. You know, I, I don't know. I didn't really feel anything. I'm, I had gotten over the fact that he basically, what I felt, abandoned me and just didn't stand beside me, you know, and that I would never have done that to him. But, you know, I, I was working on forgiving him and things like that. So I just kind of, you know, just kind of took it as he was doing whatever he felt like he needed to do. The two are now divorced and he lives out of state. As far as this case, when he walked into the courtroom, he basically looked completely away from Kimberly Boone as he walked to the witness stand. How long had you guys been married before all of this had happened? Like uh, up in, into the lead up into this, to the, to the fire and, and the shooting. How long had you guys been married? Um, we were together 13 years. 13 years. So this wasn't a new relationship. You guys had been together for a very long time. Yes, and we had two. We have two sons together, um, and we actually—he was my best friend in the whole world, my soulmate. We got along fantastically. Um, we never had any kind of—you know—the first year when you're getting used to somebody, when you when you live together, it kind of is a a little bit of an adjustment period. But after that, we we just even I've had I even had people on the stand testifying that we seemed like we were in love and we got along great and. Um, there didn't seem to be any problems between us, and there actually weren't. Wow. So, as Kim states, Robert gets on the stand and gives his version of events, including how he felt groggy and unwell, apparently, after Kim had given him a glass of water. When we were conversing, it was, it was hard for me to respond to her. I actually thought I had a stroke. I told her that I probably need to go to the hospital. What was her response? Uh, she said, you're probably tired from the trip. Let's go ahead and lay down and take a nap. Her plan was to burn the house with Robert Boone in it. After Robert gives his testimony on what happened that day, Kim's attorney is then able to cross-examine him and start questioning him on some of his version of events. Now, of course, I must stress that no wrongdoing was ever found against Mr Boone for this fire or anything at all to do with these cases. Only Kim was arrested, tried, and convicted. However, from what I've witnessed of the trial, it seems Kim's attorney was certainly suggesting that her husband wasn't being entirely truthful in his testimony. One thing that I, I have seen, because it was actually publicised on, on the news, was a heated discussion between your lawyer and your husband, um, uh, where your husband, yeah. where it was, I mean, your lawyer was, I suppose, 
uh, questioning him on a few of his accounts of, of what had happened because let's quickly go back to talking about what, what your husband said happened. He woke up. He says that the, the, the room was so full of smoke that he couldn't tell whether it was ni- uh, night or day. He's disorientated. The first thing he does is to go check on the kids, but they're not there. And then he comes back to the bedroom where the fire was to try and get out. So what exactly was your attorney questioning him on? Oh, he um, was questioning him about, like, why, Rob, why didn't you just go out the front door? Why would you? He said the fire, okay, we had kind of like a, our bedroom and the master bath were on one end of the house. And then, you know, everything else, um, you went through kind of like a living room area and then everything else was kind of on the other end of the house. So my husband, I guess when he woke up, he said that he went down to the children's room to see, because he was disoriented. He didn't know if it was night or day. And his first thing, and he said, you know, did you go, we had a new puppy. He said, did you go, you know, look for the new puppy? And he said, no, I didn't. Did you go in the children's playroom and look for them? He said, no. And so he's saying, well, you know, you loved your, you say you loved your wife and yet you, and you didn't know if it was night or day, yet you didn't go check on your wife. So he was kind of alluding to the fact that my husband did know what was going on and that he was, you know, not being truthful about it. And he said, well, Rob, you, you had 13 other exits you could have gone out when you saw that the children weren't there. You saw daylight coming in the window. Why didn't you just open one of the windows or the other doors and go out? And he said, why didn't you just go out the window and go out the side gate? He said, because nobody would have seen me then. And my attorney said, that's exactly right. You were doing this to be seen. And he said, you know, you went all the way back up to where the fire was to the front door. And why didn't you just open the door and go out? And he said, I'm the professional here, Mr. Blank, or you don't know. I know that you never, you know, he said, I'm a professional firefighter. You never um, open a door that it becomes like a fire knife and all the smoke and the heat will go to that oxygen source. Okay, so it's this whole account of leaving the bedroom, going to the opposite side of the house, and then what comes into question is the fact that he comes back again. Yes, he went right back, and um, he banged on the window. He took a, a chair or something and broke... The, all you had to do was open the window. There was no need to break the window. Like, they were low to the ground, and it was right in front of our house. It's not like it was two stories or anything, so he could have just lifted the window, kicked out the screen, and gotten out, but... You know, my attorney was alluding to the fact that, you know, a neighbor was outside washing his car, so he made a big production about trying to get out of the house and needing saved and needing rescued when he could have just simply walked out to any of the other exits that we had in the home. So let's go over this. Mr. Burns says he was woken up by the smoke alarm in the house to a fire in the bedroom. The room, he says, was so thick with smoke that he was unsure if it was night or day. He is disorientated. Now we know from the doctor's report after the incident that Xanax was found in his system, so this could certainly account for him being disorientated. He then says he goes to check on the children. Totally understandable, I think this would be every parent's first instinct. The children's bedrooms were at the opposite end of the house. He gets there and they're not there. Kim's attorney then asks if he looked for his wife, which Kim says he replies, no, he did not. He then goes back towards the bedroom at the other end of the house to where the fire started. This, it seems, is where Kim's attorney begins to question him, as according to Kim, there were multiple exits available to Mr Boone that he could have chosen, including a set of sliding doors. 
Now, from what I've read in his testimony, he says that, again, he was disorientated and also says he was concerned he would not be able to get the sliding doors open. Kim also states that her ex-husband says he was concerned about opening other doors as this would feed oxygen to the fire. So while in the bedroom, Mr Boone says he attempts to break the window with a chair, but he was too weak to do so. Now, unlike Mr Boone, I'm not a trained firefighter. In fact, in doing this episode, it made me think, what is the right thing to do during a house fire in this situation? That is why I've enlisted the help of a professional. BJ Jones is the Managing Director and Senior Investigator for Fire Forensics in Sydney. BJ has been a fire investigator for well over a decade and prior to that was a Scenes of Crime Officer in the New South Wales Police Department. So fair to say, she knows what she's talking about. So I ran BJ through Mr Boone's version of events to get her professional opinion on the matter. So he wakes up and he wakes up to the fire alarm going off um, and Mm -hmm. he says there was fire going up the wall and across the ceiling. Okay. He decides to get out of that room. So he goes to the very back of the house where the kids' rooms are, checks in there, no kids, comes back to the front of the house. Now apparently on his way back to the front room or his bedroom, which is at the front of the house, there's a set of sliding doors that he could have gone out. But he says that he was very disorientated and he was concerned he wouldn't be able to get those doors open. That's when he goes back to the bedroom and he tries to smash the window with a chair. Does he succeed in smashing the window? He doesn't because he was too weak to smash the window. So he then starts banging on the glass and that's when the neighbour sees and hears him and he goes running over and apparently the neighbour then broke the glass. Okay. I don't quite frankly understand why he didn't just close the door, check on the kids and then get out through one of the kids' windows. As a trained firefighter, you know that you want to starve that fire of oxygen. Yes. So you would close the door and then exit some other way. And if he wasn't sure that he could get the door open out the back, why wouldn't he use it on the sliding doors? Why wouldn't he use a chair on that to try and break it? (laughs) as opposed to going back into a room with flames. He's saying he was very disorientated because of the fact he had this Xanax in his system as well. I I, I can't comment on how much Xanax would confuse you. (laughs) So, Because if he hasn't got any smoke inhalation, he's not got that compounding effect. My Mm. understanding was that you said that he didn't have any smoke inhalation. Yeah, no smoke inhalation and, and no burns anywhere to him as well either. Which is also really weird if he's gone back into the room with the flame. Now, Kimberly's attorney's suggestion as to why Mr Boone chose to smash the window was so that his neighbour would see the commotion and come running over, which of course he did and then was able to take the stand for the prosecution. So, as we've mentioned, Mr. Byrne did not suffer any burns to his body, and this became a focus for Kim's attorney. So, your attorney also questioned your husband on his um, lack of burns that he got, um, and he seemed to get quite angry about that from what I've seen. Not a single burn mark on your body, am I correct? That's because I was trained, I was eating the tile. You weren't eating the tile when you were laying in the bed, right? 
No, but the fire can be above you and you not get burnt. But I thought all said fire Mr. Blanker, I was trained. You were not. Understand. Right. He was very conflicting in, in his statements, and he got very angry when he was questioned about it. Um, you know, so I think that that, and that was, we thought that was a big turning point. That, that kind of made a lot of people go, you know, you know, what he's saying doesn't really quite jive. So again, I asked BJ about burns in this particular scenario. Yeah, yeah. I would have expected singeing and, and um, especially if it's like the windows, I assume not a floor to ceiling window, that it's sort of a normal window, i.e. it's like partway up the wall. So the heat layer would radiate heat down from the ceiling. And if the fire is such that it's actually going up the wall and across the ceiling, it is at that point radiating a lot of heat down and they call it the neutral plane, which is like the smoke and heat layer sort of descends from the ceiling straight down the wall. So he would effectively be standing up in that at that point when he's trying to break the window. Mm. So I don't know what's going on, but he would have been affected by a lot of heat coming radiating down. But if the neighbour saw him there, then, you know, clearly that's a witness account. So it's got a little bit more veracity to it. Mm. In terms of the confusion I'm, as I said, I'm not a doctor with Xanax, so it's, you would need someone to sort of comment on how confused someone could be. Yeah. Because I would have thought there's confusion, but there's also his training and education. And at some point, if you've got a fire, his, his training has kicked in to check for the kids, but it hasn't kicked in to actually close the door and exit another way. So I think that that's probably where the biggest confusion lies. So while I had someone of BJ's experience, I also wanted to ask if it could be possible that Kim would be able to set a fire and leave no trace of doing so. Because as we know, two trained fire marshals could not find a cause for this blaze. And I'll be honest, What she told me was a shock. Could someone potentially set fire to a property and leave no trace of doing that? Yes. Okay, so that that is possible. A few different ways, hypothetically, yes. We we might not broadcast those. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, one of the fire marshals who ruled the fire an accident apparently took issue with Mr Boone's version of events. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com.
It is that time again where I give many thanks to you for listening to this show and spreading the word because the one minute remaining podcast community is growing and so much so we now have a Facebook group where we get together, discuss the cases that we're talking about. Plus, I can give you regular updates on each of the inmates that we discuss uh, as well as giving some extra content including videos and uh, never before heard discussions between the inmates and myself. So join the Facebook group, let's build that community and tell as many people, I'm not going with numbers anymore, just tell everybody, you see. I know, I've become extremely greedy. Thank you again so much indeed for listening to this show and uh, I hope to bring you many, many more stories. So of course in this episode we are exploring the testimony of Kim's husband, the man that she is accused of trying to kill, not once but twice. Again, I want to make sure that we are clear that Mr Boone was never found to have done anything wrong whatsoever. Kimberly Boone was the only one that was arrested, charged and eventually found guilty of this crime. We're just investigating all the possibilities, as did the defence on the day. And it would seem it was not only them that was taking issue with some of the things Mr Boone was saying. One of the fire marshals also stated that he had a couple of concerns. The other fire marshal stated that, I didn't know any of this, but he said on the stand that he actually had spoken to my husband about a week after the trial, and they actually knew a lot of the same people. My, my husband had been a, fire, a firefighter up north. They, you know, they trained in the same fire uh, training academy up in Maryland. So they, they had a camaraderie. So I actually thought maybe he would have been on my husband's side. But he said that he... Um, he had he had interviewed me shortly after the fire in that he interviewed me asking me what happened from beginning to end he asked me to tell him backwards the day's events um, what happened you know like the middle of the day and he said I never once faltered he said it's a an investigating an investigative uh, questioning technique that the officers use to determine if someone's lying. He said, because someone practices a lie forward to beginning to end, but they don't go from the end back to the beginning. So unless you have, you know, that natural recall in your mind, you're not going to be able to give the answer to it Mm. um, right away. You'd have to stop and think about it. So he said, you know, after questioning me, he determined that I was telling the truth. And he said, I did have a real problem, though, with Mr. Boone's version of the events. He said... He was a trained firefighter, and he trained in one of the best fire training academies in the United States. And he had been a firefighter for over 15 years. And he said, but I have a real problem with him saying that he could not find his way out of the house. Right now, in a Seminole County courtroom, the state says Kimberly Boone tried to kill her husband by burning down the family home with him inside. The defense says nobody's even sure how the fire started and if it was arson. Boone's now ex-husband could have been the one behind it. They point out the cause of the Winter Springs fire is still considered undetermined by the insurance company. And they say Robert Boone, for being drugged and out of it, managed to escape without severe burns or any smoke in his lungs. An investigator questioned Robert's story. I had some concern that a a, a trained, experienced firefighter had difficulty getting out of his own home. Um, And he said he also stated that he was asleep on the bed with his foot about four inches away from where the fire would have started. He said... And he said he woke up with, um, you know, it was so black with smoke, he didn't know if it was night or day. And, and he said that he had on shorts and a T-shirt and no socks and shoes. He said, 
but yet he didn't have a burn on him. He didn't have singed nasal ha hairs. He didn't have smoke inhalation. He said that room alone would have been hundreds of degrees, and there's just no way that he was on that bed asleep at the time the fire started. And didn't the prosecution also have an expert testify to the fact that there was no smoke inhalation in his system, but they couldn't actually answer whether or not he should? Yes. The state contends Kimberly Boone drugged her husband and their toxicologist testified anti-anxiety medication was found in his bloodstream. But that witness also testified under cross-examination that they didn't find any smoke in Robert Boone's lungs. Would, would a massive amount of smoke indicate that it would be difficult for him to not get that in his lungs and in his bloodstream? I don't know. The triage nurse that that, that uh, intake when uh, when because what they did they said he was acting very strange and so they went ahead and took him to the hospital and you know they determined that he had no smoke inhalation he just seemed like he was a little bit out of it like he was a little bit disoriented so they kept him for observation overnight but there was nothing wrong with him. The state's other accusation was that Kim crushed up some of her Xanax medication and placed it in the water that she gave to her husband which was found in his system. But Kim's defence was that Rob knew he was taking this medication. In fact, he would take her medication from time to time, which is something he did eventually testify to. And did they find, because I mean, he was apparently, uh, had taken Xanax, did they find that, did they test that in his system or? Yes, they did. And um, at the time they, I didn't even know he had, you know, I, I explained to you that I had a legal prescription for it. I didn't know, you know, I, I didn't ever do drugs, but I used it for, you know, the panic disorder that I had from when I drove. And so when they first questioned him, um, the triage nurse that asked him if he had taken anything, and he said, yes, I've, I've taken some of my wife's Xanax. Um, and so when he was released the next day, the doctor on his... Um, the, the release paperwork from the hospital even told him he needed to follow up with a primary care physician because he had this Xanax in his system, yet he didn't have a prescription for it. Mm. So it was never, ever brought back up. It was never brought up for months and months and months. Um, when we went to trial, the state uh, turned it into the fact that I had given him the Xanax and the theory was that I that I crushed up Xanax, put it in a glass of water, gave it to him, and waited until he fell asleep, lit the house on fire. Um, there, again, was never any proof of that. There was, you know, it was just their theory. And my attorney said, you don't, you don't have to worry about that. The attempted murder charge is stemming from them saying that you drugged him with the Xanax so that he couldn't get out of the house. Um, but he said he admitted to having taken your Xanax, so, you know, there's no, there's no way that they can charge you with this. The state's only Thursday witness was a toxicologist who said Robert Boone had anxiety medication and antidepressants in his bloodstream after a neighbor pulled him out of the burning house. I was feeling a little bit groggy, had a headache, a little bit disoriented. Um, headache got worse, almost like I had a stroke. He said Boone's testimony makes sense. If you ingest the drug, knowingly or unknowingly, uh, it would cause sedation, lethargy, confusion. Um, and actually, if you take too much, it could put you into a coma. Even though the state says Kimberly Boone drugged her husband, the defense says Boone himself admitted he took his wife's pills when he felt he needed them. Uh, when the police first did his deposition, they said, Rob, you know, 
what about this Xanax in your system? And he told them for maybe 30 or 45 minutes, he kept denying it. No, I never took her Xanax. No, I never did. And finally he said, well, I guess maybe I did take some a few days before that. And they made the comment, really, Rob, we've been asking you for over 30 minutes and you've been lying to us. So again, on the stand, that's another reason that he got so heated with my attorney is he, my attorney asked him about the Xanax and he lied again and said, no, I never took her Xanax. And um, he had to pull out the depositions that he had given the, the officers to show him. And he said, well, is this your statement? Did you say, you know, you had taken your wife's Xanax? He said, well, I guess that's what I said. Then, then that's what I said, you know, and, and that he was very abrupt with him. Now, I want to make sure we're clear here. Absolutely. No wrongdoing was ever found against Mr Boone. It was obviously Kim's defence that was questioning accounts and looking at other possibilities as to why that fire may have started. In fact, after watching what I can of the trial, it appears to me like the defence was suggesting that Mr Boone may have had something to do with the fire. So I asked Kim if that's what she thought. Kim, this might be a hard question to answer, but do you think that your husband could have had something to do with this? You know, everybody has asked me. That's the first response that I get because he was a trained firefighter. He had the expertise, the knowledge he had. He had motive just as well as I did. And um, But I have never once believed that he did this on purpose. You know, I've, I just don't, I just don't see it. I mean, he's basically left you high and dry and not spoken to you ever again. He's not testified in your defence but you still have no reason to believe that he may have had something to do with this. I mean, you know, it makes me question it because I look back um, at the time I was the only one working. My husband was kind of like, you know, he of North and we lived in Maryland and he was a firefighter. He worked for the sheriff's department for a couple of years. And when we moved down here, he couldn't really find out what he wanted to do. I was an accountant for the company up North and I worked from home. He was going to school, you know, for various different things. So he ended up starting a business and wasn't really making much money. So I was kind of the breadwinner of it all. And, you know, I think he may have felt a little emasculated at times. Um, But I I just, I never thought that he was unhappy. But, you know, in retrospect, you know, if if he were unhappy, he had no means to leave. You know, if he wanted, if he had secretly wanted a divorce, he couldn't have gotten the children. Um, you know, I was a great mom. He had no way to support them or himself because he wasn't making any money. Um, you know, and, and, you know, his motive could have been that if he were, you know, if he were trying to get the money from the fire, he may have been trying to use that to start another life someplace else. I mean, so I, I can't discount it. But, you know, for many years I have, you know, Maybe 95% of me believes that, you know, in no way he could have or would have done it. And there's just a little niggling doubt that, you know, you never really know what people have going on in the back of their mind. After weeks of testimony and expert witnesses, the jury went away to deliberate. And after only four hours, they came back with a guilty verdict. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of the lesser-included offense of attempted second-degree murder. The jury also found Kimberly Boone guilty on count two of arson. If Boone was shaken by the verdicts, she didn't show it. As we know, Kim was dealt a very large sentence. In fact, it would seem a much bigger sentence than some get for actually murdering someone. 
a fact that I find confusing as to why it was such a long sentence. I spoke to Kim about that. I'm going to tell you how Florida works. Florida has the criminal punishment worksheet. And what they do on that worksheet is they take into account the severity of your crime, if there were any deaths or if there were any major injuries, and they assign a point system to each one of these factors. And then they look and see if you have previous charges, and they'll assign like a small, it's a small percentage of what it would originally have been um, when they were charged in the beginning. But So they show their prior history and they get charged for that. So then what they do is they have this calculation, which which they come up with and which determines a minimum number of um, uh, months that the judge can sentence a person to prison. And they can sentence you anywhere as long as you don't, as long as they don't hold any minimum mandatory times like the, a lot of the drug charges do. The judge has the option to sentence you anywhere from those minimum number of months up to the statutory maximum for your crime. So for all of my items together, I scored about six and a half years. And what they ended up doing was they char- they gave me 40 years in prison and 25 years probation, so they gave me 65 years. They gave me 10 times the amount of the recommended sentence from my score sheet because I had no prior history of any type of, of charge. Um, and he could have sentenced me to six years. But what they did is they gave me 15 years uh, for the attempted second-degree murder. They gave me 20 years for the arson. And they gave me 10 years probation after the arson. They gave me five years for the grand theft and 15 years probation on that. And they ran them all consecutive. So I have to do a 15-year sentence. Then I have to do a 20-year sentence. And then I have to do a five-year sentence and 25 years probation. And the only reason that it's like that is because they they could. Just because they can. Yeah, because they can. You have one minute remaining. And that wraps us up for this episode. Now, if you think we're done with this case, well, we're not. See, while putting these episodes together, I search high and low and do as much research as possible and get as much information as I can on these particular cases. Some I can get more information than others. Some cases I have to rely solely on what I'm being told by the men and women that I'm interviewing. However, while putting this particular episode together, I came across some testimony and other evidence that was presented that I was previously unaware of. Information that I stumbled across. And I'll be honest, it's information that is bothering me. But it is only fair that I take this to Kim and ask her about it. You know that I don't believe what I sort of see and read and hear on the internet, but I do have to uh, ask the question because it pops up. Okay. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. <laughs>